0: Lord, thank you that every Christmas, when as we travel and our friends and family travel, we, it does remind us how far you traveled, that you traveled from heaven to earth uh, to come for us. And we're here because of you, and we want to celebrate and honor you this morning. So, Lord, bless the, these words, bless the hearing of them, the speaking of them, the receiving of them, Uh, into our hearts, uh, that you would do the work in each of us that you would like to do. Glory to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, This time of year is so much fun, isn't it? There's just so much excitement, there's so much anticipation, that the joy is abounding all around. And I think, I'm pretty sure, that those who enjoy Christmas the most are children. Am I right about that? Yesterday, Shelley and I got to go to Disney on Ice with our granddaughter, Alexa. We got to see all the Disney princesses out there. And I'm telling you, that place was rocking. I mean, you could just feel the, the kids in there. Everybody, the, the room was just pulsing with happiness. Um, kids really know joy. I just think there's nothing like the joy of a child uh, at Christmas time. Have you noticed it? They don't hold it back. As adults, we tend to hold it back. But you can see the joy wriggling throughout their bodies. From the top of their heads to the tip of their toes, their bodies are telling you the joy they feel in this season. So if you really want to enter into the joy of this season, uh, you will have to become a child again. This time, a child of God. So for a few minutes on this Christmas Eve morning, let's talk about that. Let's talk about what only children know about Christmas. Sixty-six years before the birth of Christ in a wealthy aristocratic neighborhood in Rome, a very important child was born. At his advent, a messenger raced into the Roman Senate and announced, the next ruler of the world is born. His name was Octavius. He was destined to become the adopted son of Julius Caesar, and thus he grew up in the palace. He was educated by the finest teachers of literature, philosophy, government. By the age of 33, he was the uncontested ruler of the Roman Empire. And as the greatest of all Caesars, the Senate gave him the name Emperor Augustus, which means the exalted one who reigned over the golden age of the Roman Empire. Caesar Augustus. He just had to give the word, and armies would march, ships would sail, and nations would fall. He just had to give the word, and the world would move for him. In those days, the Christmas story begins in the Gospel of Luke chapter 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world, and everyone went to their own town to register. So it was during this census that another child was born in a very unimportant neighborhood, in a very unimportant part of the empire. Verse 4. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Verse 8, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So no Roman messengers ran to the Senate to announce the advent of this child. Rather, it was God's own messengers, the angels, who announced the birth of Jesus Christ the least of the inhabitants of the empire, a small band of shepherds watching over their sheep. This child began his life in a humble manger, an animal's feeding trough, because there was no room for him in the normal places. He was raised not in a palace, but in a common Jewish home. He was educated not in literature and philosophy, but in carpentry, and at the age of 33, he ascended not to the Roman throne, but to a Roman cross. As the Gospel of John, chapter 1, tells us, verse 10, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. No, we, did, we never did have much room for Jesus. And that is because we have long focused our attention on the other child, the one who has all the trappings of power. We want that. The Caesar at work, at school, or at home. The Caesar of money, security, or health, who we think has the power over our lives. Caesar only has to say the word, and we start moving. We start to hustle. But what if it was the child in the manger, the one who became a carpenter that really had the power to shape our lives for us, and to shape a life that is not just comfortable but filled with mission and eternal purpose? What if he just had to give the word, and salvation would break out all over the world? Or to put it in more theological terms, what if he was God's word that brings good news of great joy for all people? And what if we have spent our lives serving the wrong ruler? It sounds naive, even childish, to believe that the one born in a barn was destined to be the real ruler of the world. In fact, it sounds almost like a fairy tale or a myth, almost. We humans love good stories, don't we? We love stories that tap into our imagination and our sense of wonder and birth in us a hope that blazes like light in the darkness of our world. We love stories where heroes overcome impossible odds and seemingly invincible enemies to rescue the world. Think Lord of the Rings, Star Wars. We love stories where a man is so committed to his true love that he risks death again and again and again to ensure her safety and to win her heart. Of all our stories, the story of Jesus has proven to be one of the most popular. The story of God loving the world he made so much that he would leave heaven and come down to earth to rescue it, to rescue us from darkness. That story has kindled more hope in the hearts of more people than any other story. The story of the heavenly king who comes into the darkness of death in order to rescue his bride from the clutches of the enemy, that story has stirred hope and longing for millions upon millions of people over thousands of years. The story of Jesus resonates so deeply with the heart of humanity, and it echoes the themes of so many classic human myths. These mythological echoes which ring out in the story of Jesus have caused many to classify Jesus as a myth. That would be a mistake. Did you notice in our text how Luke firmly roots the story of Jesus in history, linking him with Caesar Augustus? If you read his gospel, Luke fills his gospel account with numerous specific historical details, the names of emperors, governors, rulers, high priests, towns, customs, and so on. So if the story of Jesus is history, why does it have the ring of myth to it? I said that the story of Jesus echoes the themes of many human myths, but what if it's the other way around? What if it's the other way around? What if the other myths are actually echoes of the true story of Jesus? What if each of us has an ache, a a, a longing for rescue, for deliverance, a strong desire to be deeply and truly loved, which pours itself into our own hearts and our own stories. What if God himself put that ache in our hearts so that we would long for him? What if God sowed the seeds in the human spirit, which could ultimately only find their fruit in the coming of Jesus Christ? C.S. Lewis put it like this. Now, the story of Christ is simply a true myth. Isn't that great? It's a true myth. A myth working on us the same way as the others, but with the tremendous difference that it really happened. This is the most real thing the church has to say this month. Jesus really is the Savior of the world who has come for you. But you do have to become a child again to believe this. Verse 12, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Wow. Children of God. There are some things, I think, that only children know. Things that are critical to understanding Christmas. Which means that adults have to recover the ability to think and feel like a child again, in order to receive the Christmas miracle. But to do that, you have to dig past what we adults tend to call reality, but what is actually perhaps only cynicism, to find the wonder, the wonder of being God's child again. Because Christmas is about wonder. Christmas is about wonder. Children live in a world filled with mystery and possibilities. They believe it is possible to move from Kansas to Oz or from a bedroom to Narnia. If they look down a hole, who knows what they will find? (laughs) Perhaps a wonderland is waiting below. In a child's world, reindeer can fly, snowmen can come to life, and a frog can turn into a prince. But you have to kiss him to find out. It's all a part of living in a mystery-filled world that makes you wonder. Fine for children, you say, but let's deal with reality. Reindeer can't fly, snowmen just melt, and after kissing a lot of frogs, I still haven't found my prince. So if I had to give up all those stories when I became an adult, why should I believe the one about Jesus? Why? Because this is the only story in your mystery-starved life that is true. And it is more true than all of that stuff Caesar is telling you. Christmas is not just a lovely true story about Mary and Joseph and a bunch of shepherds, wise men, and angels. It is also a depiction of this high drama of God's interruptions of your life for His glory. Just as the Holy Spirit surprised Mary by conceiving the Savior in her womb, do you think that was an interruption? I think so so is it that same spirit is intent on conceiving God's work of salvation and transformation within your life. Those are among the truest words you will hear all week. But to believe them, you will have to recover the child's ability to wonder. Children also have the ability to teach us another lesson about Christmas that we may have forgotten. Get a child to start talking about this Christmas season and it will soon become evident that they believe Christmas is not about giving. It's about receiving. And they're right about that. Christmas is about receiving. And that's why children love Christmas. You know, in all my years of pastoral ministry, I have never had a child schedule an appointment to talk to me about the stress of the Christmas holidays. Never. (laughs) They are not in a lather about how much they have to do for others. They don't max out their credit cards, try to throw perfect parties, fret over the travel arrangements, or sigh under the burden of so many cards to get into the mail. Maybe we'll get them there by next Christmas. No, the only thing children worry about when it comes to Christmas is if they can possibly wait for it to get here. The house is decorated. The tree is beautiful. And by Christmas, underneath it, There will be presents for them. Trust me, they are very clear about this. Am I right? Yeah. When our sons were were old enough to start buying Christmas presents for others, Shelly and I would sit down early every December, and we'd figure out the amount of money that we could give them to spend on gifts for others. And then off we would go to the mall. And man, was that fun. They would wander around looking at the decorations and peering into all the store windows, you know, with money in their hot little hands to spend, ready to buy some presents to give to others. It was such a fun tradition for us as a family every December. I kind of miss it with all the online shopping now. But Christmas, we would always remind them, Christmas is about giving. But as a pastor... I've discovered that this is a lesson we have overlearned. The way the story goes, God is the only one who is really giving at Christmas. God is the only one who is really giving at Christmas, and what he is giving is himself. He's giving himself in Jesus Christ, and the rest of us we're just receiving. We're receiving this grace and And rejoicing, we're amazed. How could this come to me? Now, I do understand the value of giving gifts to our loved ones as a symbol of this grace, and I've got the credit card bills to prove it. But never forget what the symbols symbolize, that the world has received a new Savior King who can forgive us our many sins and transform us from something like greed to compassion. Still another reason why you have to become a child again to understand Christmas is because children expect to have a future. Christmas is about having a future. Children have such wonderful dreams about what they want to be and what they want to do when they grow up. They are as of yet unencumbered by their own limitations. The whole world stands before them as unexplored possibilities. But as adults, we spend so much time trying to manage our mistakes and sins of the past, making more mistakes and committing more sins that that we eventually doubt. We start to doubt that anything good is coming in the future. So many times uh, over the course of my ministry, I've heard someone speak of deep regret. You know, if only I could undo what I've done. If only I had made different decisions about marriage. If only I had not always chosen for my career. If only I had spent more time with the kids while they were home. If only I had taken better care of my health. If only, if only, if only. And the harsh reality is that we cannot return to the days of our childhood or youth with a clean slate. Actually, under our own power, we cannot even make our way back to being a child who is good at receiving or believing in mystery. After all we have seen and done over the years in our service to Caesar, it would take a miracle to become a child again, right? Right, absolutely right, and that's the point. This is why this time we have to be born as the gospel proclaims to us as, verse 13, children. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Just let that sink into your spirit. Born of God. How do we become new creations? Born anew by God into a new life uh, and an open future. Well, it helps to remember that being born is a rather passive process for the child, not for the mother but for the child. The first time around, none of us chose our birth. We didn't figure out the right theology or say the right prayer or pick the right parents or the right place. The birth just happened to us. It happened to us as grace. Grace, pure and simple. In fact, it took quite a while before we even realized that we were born. The same thing is true of spiritual Rebirth Again, it's not something you achieve. It, it's not something you achieve. It is a grace that you receive. Christmas is about grace from God. To all who received Him, verse 12 says, this, to all who received this coming Savior, Jesus, He gave the right to become children of God. Your life in Christ begins as Jesus' life within you as a receiving child. It begins as a child, a son, a daughter, who receives the love and the life and the forgiveness of a Heavenly Father. You see, the miracle of Christmas is not that our old mistakes and sins are wiped away so that we can start over. Thank God we don't have to start over. Anybody want to start over? Well, what happens when we try to start over? We just make the same kinds of mistakes. And the same kinds of sins as we did in the past. No, the miracle of Christmas is that in receiving a Savior, you are changed, not into a baby, but into a beloved child of God. And that really changes everything about you, it's a whole new identity. For the perfect love of God casts out all fear forgives all sin, redeems your past, and frees you to turn your face to a future filled with beautiful hope and delicious mystery. And so we pray, come, O Savior, and be born in us that we might be born anew. Come to us. Come to us that our despair may be changed into your hope, our doubt into your faith, and our sin into your righteousness in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.